A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to series two of the Alt Healthy podcast. I just wanted to take a little moment just to thank you guys all so much for your support for series one. It's because of your support, your reviews, your love, your sharing on social media that we've been able to come back for series two. And it is so exciting for me to hear how highly anticipated this series is. So a huge thank you to you guys and your support. And if you could continue to share all the love, all the support, I love every single single story I get tagged in every single share we get I absolutely love them I always share them and they are exactly what keeps me going so I am super excited to bring you series two we have some incredible guests on this series we will be covering some really amazing topics from journaling to meditation to understanding your immune system we are going to go a lot deeper we are going to go a lot further and I also would love to hear from you guys as to what you would love to hear on the show who you would love to have on the show so please do reach out and i can't wait to get started with you guys so thank you all again for your support it is hugely hugely appreciated episode 16 with dr sarah vora of the mind medic Welcome to the Alternatively Healthy Podcast. I am your host, Becky Rabin, personal trainer, wellness coach, and founder of online wellness magazine, Alternatively Healthy. This is your high vibe, soul soothing weekly dose of wellness. Each week, I will be getting up close and personal, bringing you conversation and insight with some of the wellness industry's most renowned health practitioners, coaches, experts, and thought leaders from around the world. Through our podcast, we hope to give you all the information, resources, and tools that you need to help shape the healthiest and happiest version of you. Sarah is a mum, a wife, best-selling author, and a psychiatrist. She qualified from Leeds Medical, and her book, Mental Health in Children and Young People, recently hit the top charts, being hugely well-received within the wellness industry. Sarah founded The Mind Medic in 2016, a digital platform that would not only serve to promote emotional and mental health awareness, but would also empower anyone to spot the signs that they or someone they know may be struggling, instill them with the confidence to have those initial, often fraught conversations early on, and in turn, access the right professional support. Sarah has gone on today to help so many people in the industry master their mental health, and I am so excited to have her here today on the Alt Healthy podcast. 
Hi, Sarah. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am... Oh, no, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. No, I am super excited about this. And this is something I've wanted to do for a long time on the podcast and actually have had a lot of people asking me to bring to the podcast. So I'm super excited. I think for me, it's something I'm really passionate about talking about is because someone who myself has battled with my own mental health issues, I'm really looking forward to be able to share tips and tricks with people as to what they can do and for those who have been suffering themselves. So for me, I guess I've previously battled with anxiety. I've had bouts of depression. I've also grown up in a household where my mum had depression. And I guess for me, being someone who is quite bright and loud and happy and always quite like fun I guess I think for me I just kind of thought it was normal to live with anxiety and I kind of thought it was normal to have really down days and I think even when I was in my deepest place of depression six years ago I don't even think I realized it was depression so I didn't really know who to go and talk to so what I've learned is where I've been speaking up a lot about it and my journey and my battles I'm like cannot believe how many women are struggling with different types of mental health so why do you fundamentally think this is the case like why do you think we're so scared to like speak out about it I think certainly in the last 18 months we're hearing lots more about let's improve the conversation around mental health let's talk more about mental health so I think naturally because it's kind of out there already people feel able to open up about it and I think also the way our lives are at the moment has completely changed in the last five to ten years. You know, we're constantly plugged in. Being busy is a badge of honour, faced with pressures at work, in our home life. And I think actually we're kind of run down, really. Yeah. And there's lots of stuff environmentally that means that actually we're forced to check up on our mental health because actually mental health impacts our ability to concentrate to focus to be able to give to a relationship to be able to eat sleep it impacts everything and I think naturally when people notice that there's a change in their appetite or they're not functioning at work as perhaps they used to or they're a bit more forgetful it forces them to take stock and like I mentioned before because it's out there and people are talking about it I think it forces people to have a think about what's going on for them and their mental health. For me I think almost the word mental health is the bit that's the most scariest bit for people to start talking about. I think it's almost like it's not become like a trend but you know people are happy to talk about anxiety, they are happy to talk about having down days but do you think that perhaps like the actual term itself mental health can sometimes be what scares people to like actually know that they may have some sort of mental health issue or or not think that they do have one because I've always associated it with like severe mental health issues like schizophrenia and do you know what I mean like it's almost I think like, you've hit the nail on the yeah. head often people will think about those really severe mental illnesses yeah. but actually mental health we all have mental health on some level and actually I think the way it's kind of sold at the moment is about self-care yeah. wellness well-being it's kind of tailored to suit people so that it's not a frightening term but actually what we need to understand is mental health can be anything from a day where you're feeling down or a bit anxious right through to those severe mental illnesses that you mentioned yeah so that's what my next question I guess was going to be is what falls under the category of mental health issues what are we looking at here if we're looking at anything we might be struggling or for someone that's listening being like well what does that fall under 
So mental health, in terms of its definition, the way I look at it is our ability to process information day to day, our ability to show and to use emotion. So if we think a typical day, we might be feeling stressed and anxious because of something that's happened at work. We might be feeling upset because we've just broken up with a boyfriend. We might be feeling bereaved because we've just lost a loved one. All those emotions that that stirs up, that defines our mental health. And those emotions are normal. So when people feel anxious ahead of a driving test or ahead of a job interview, Mm. a bit of anxiety is really, really good because actually it forces us to prepare for that driving test for that interview. But when mental health or mental health symptoms become sort of clinical, I suppose, or become a problem is Mm. when it affects our day-to-day functioning. So if you're anxious preparing for your driving test or your job interview to the extent that you can't concentrate, you can't focus, you're not even able to turn up on the day because you're just overwhelmed with anxiety, then clearly that's a problem. So the way I ask people to look at it is we can't expect never to feel anxiety, to never Mm. feel low mood because we're not robots. You know, we are in tune with how we feel and our emotions but the moment those emotions get in the way of our functioning so our ability to go to work to interact with our friends and family that's when you should be worried and that should be ringing alarm bells for you I think it's one of those things isn't it that people are quite afraid to speak out or I think a lot of more people are turning to being able to speak out or like say what they want to say on their Instagram or their social media but perhaps don't actually go and get help so like I know for me I actually never mine was actually off the back of a bad breakup and I spent Mm. two years severely severely depressed anxious but it showed up in different ways from self-esteem issues not really having any appetite not because I was starving myself but just because I was so sad and I remember I remember the pivotal moment I went to the doctors and she referred me to go and see someone about my depression and like go and see a therapist and I refused for me it was almost like I kind of like took the letter and walked out and I was like I can't go and see someone I'm bearing in mind Mm. I was quite young and there was not this whole like trend of social media and there wasn't this whole like awareness around it I was like oh my god what do I do in this situation I can't possibly go and see someone do you think we're afraid to address it because we don't want to deal with the emotions or do you think we're just afraid to go and see someone because there's such a thing around going to see someone getting help I think it can be a sense of pride. So actually, I should be able to deal with this on my own. I don't want to burden people. I don't want to upset anyone. And also, it might be that you're so down or so depressed that you don't actually have the energy or the motivation to be able to address it. Because often when I see people that are in the grips of moderate or severe depression, they just don't have the energy or the inclination to be able to focus on therapy. And often it might be that first line we have to prescribe medication just to be able to lift them out of that lull that they're in enough to have more energy have more motivation to engage in the therapy so it could be a combination of any of those things and with that obviously the medication is obviously antidepressants right yeah where is the line of giving people antidepressants to obviously get them out of that state so that they can then really focus on getting better and giving people antidepressants and them just not really still getting to the root of what was causing them to be upset and then being on them for 40, 50 years. Yeah. Uh, how is that measured in the industry? Because I know I watched my mum 
as I grew up on just antidepressants. And it's only really mm. now that she's 65 and she's like, right, I'm going to get to the root of what is this grief that like we had grief in our family and my audience that are listening will know exactly what that was with my dad dying. And instead of really ever addressing those situations, I think she just went straight onto antidepressants and never really yeah. like, I mean, I know she's had therapy and stuff. Where does that line blur? So it could be a combination of things. I mean, I personally am someone that I try to avoid medication wherever possible because say someone that has been depressed for two or three months, they go to see their GP and I think GPs have a hard rep. They've got eight minutes to make a decision, sort of a snapshot decision. They might bring that person back and it might be that that person has to face a six to 12 month waiting list before they even see a psychiatrist like myself. And in that time, will that person's mental health deteriorate to the extent that it would have been better if they'd started on the medication straight away? So I think we're often battling against things like waiting lists, unfortunately, for therapy. It might be that the person doesn't actually feel that they're in a place to be able to talk about what's been going on or what's triggering the low mood. So it might be that it's preference of the person that's going that they say, actually, I just want to go straight onto medication. And often the doctor might just honour that. It might be that they've tried therapy and after sort of two or three sessions for the reasons that I've given before that they don't have the energy or motivation. So it might be that the medication's needed just to give them that lift. But we always say that if someone is depressed and they are started on medication, we never consider it a long-term. It might end up being a long-term thing, but we always have to review it. And it might be that if someone improves with medication, from the moment that they improve, we always say give it six to 12 months of consistently improving. Mm-hmm. And then we might think of them coming off the medication. Yeah. But for a lot of people, that's a really scary prospect. Yeah, and some people might choose to stay on the medication because it just offers them that crutch, that support. There's a worry that if they come off it, that it's going to unravel again. Mm-hmm. So it might be patient preference, or it might be that they haven't got to see a psychiatrist, so they're not probably being reviewed as, as they would ordinarily if they were seeing a psychiatrist rather than a generalist like a GP. So a lot of combination. But the evidence is that it's a combination really of the medication and the therapy that's mm. going to help the person. It's really tough, um, isn't it? It's so hard to tell. That's it. And it's also impossible. the therapy might not necessarily get to the bottom of what's causing the depression because yeah. often there might not be a trigger or an obvious trigger. You look at often celebrities in the press and you yeah. think, who come out about depression or mental health conditions and you think what on earth have they got to be depressed about what on earth they got to be anxious about because on the surface they've got it all and they probably wouldn't be able to tell you where it's come because actually it's a biological condition that people can just be depressed and there might not be an obvious trigger or sign to explain the depression see that's really interesting that was going to be one of my next questions is A lot of the podcasts I have done with people who are coming at things from different angles, so some of them have like the cognitive behavioural therapy stuff. Most of the people that I have spoken to have have spoken a lot about how a lot of it has come from our childhood. And I know that obviously your book is Mental Health Amongst Children and Young People. And what are your thoughts on that? Because a lot of the questions I've had and the people that have come to me have, have said, you know, there's something somewhere in childhood, whether it's big or small, that's triggered something somewhere for someone that they can play on in later life. How much is that true when it comes to our mental health issues? So I think for the kids that I see that 
are depressed, mm. there's probably a handful of those, so there, there's no obvious trigger. Mm. But for some of them, it'll be things like bullying, whether that's yeah. face-to-face bullying, online bullying. There's the pressures of social media, you know, doctored images, photoshopped images that trigger low self-esteem, feeling inadequate, which can obviously impact their mm. mood. It might be that they've suffered a trauma, they might have lost a parent or they may have fallen out with a friend or they may be struggling academically at school. So there might be a whole host of reasons that I think contribute to the depression, but we can never say it's down to that specific thing. What effect does that have on us as adults, what we might have gone through as children? So when you're dealing with people or you're giving someone a session, how much do you go back in terms of like where their trigger is in terms of the depression or their anxiety? Is it linked to their childhood quite often? or, or... So anyone that I see, regardless of their age, I'd always go back to their early history. Yeah. And I think that's really one of the reasons why I chose psychiatry, because I think in any other medical specialty, you focus on a symptom. Because I've been a doctor for the last 10 yeah. years. When I started out I remember just a patient was effectively a symptom in a bed you know when I was working on the wards it was okay the bad chest in bed three or the broken leg in bed four and I hated that because actually I felt it just depersonalized the patient and the beauty of psychiatry is that everything is relevant so right back to the early history that is critical and we spend so much longer with our patients because it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle and trying to get all the pieces together you know why is this person presenting with low mood at this time in their life what happened when they were born right through to when their mum was carrying them in the pregnancy what was the pregnancy like was mum smoking or drinking during the pregnancy Mm -hmm. was mum depressed everything is crucial in trying Mm -hmm. to piece together why someone's presented the way they have at this time in their life it's so interesting I only know how much our childhood has such a part to play in our adulthood because I've been doing these podcasts and I think there isn't enough said out there to the general public about how important things are in childhood or even you know my friends who are pregnant or have children or just had children like everything they're doing will have an effect on their child later on in life or just even that if we are struggling with something to kind of look back and think was there something you know for me I think a lot of the issues I've had are because I was being carried by my mum as my dad was dying and then was born in this home of grief but also Mm not grief but also love for me and grief and not knowing how to feel you know that's only recent stuff that I've really taken the time to do the work and learn but we've obviously spoken a lot about depression and anxiety would you say that those two are the most common types of mental health issues that you see amongst women and young adults Definitely. I think because there's such a spectrum, it can be someone that struggles with sort of low level depression symptoms right through to someone with severe depression. But I think with women, particularly depression, anxiety, and also eating difficulties and disordered eating are the three biggies that I tend to see. And with the disordered eating, where does that line blur with depression and anxiety and low self-esteem because like when I've hosted any workshops or from what messages I get from girls it seems to be that they tend to have them all when they have one of them it's not just a singular thing no it's so true because even someone that presents with sort of mild moderate depression one of the things that's affected is their appetite and it might be that they 
go off their food and they lose weight or they might go the other way where they turn to food as like an emotional crutch and they're binge eating and they might gain weight. And so I think appetite is a marker really of low mood, also anxiety. So again, someone might be really, really anxious to the point that they're not able to eat or they feel sick and again, losing weight or they might eat through anxiety and gain weight. So I think there's definitely a link between feeling down, feeling anxious and appetite. Mm. And then as a result, the impact on your weight as well. Definitely. And I think one of the biggest things I've heard from people is that they like desperately want to change their mindset towards their food or their exercise and their health. Yet the moment they do take their foot off the mark and like change something their anxiety rises that was one of the biggest things that came out of a workshop we did recently and everyone was like I desperately want to love myself enough to eat well and not work out seven times a week but when I like don't do that I have this guilt this shame and this anxiety completely rises and I have to deal with that it's kind of like a vicious cycle isn't it absolutely and it's you can't address one and not expect the others to just take care of themselves it's really about trying to step back and actually think that they are all interlinked. So if you are finding that you're controlling your food or if you're finding that you are struggling with your anxiety and you're using food as a way of coping with that, it's really important to get to grips with what actually it is you're anxious about and challenging that rather than, again, focusing on the food and feeding that vicious cycle of anxiety. Yeah, it seems to be the biggest issue I think that I've learned in this industry that we don't do is kind of tune into us and ask ourselves questions as to so why am I feeling anxious why do I feel this way about my food and for me my biggest thing was like lack of self-esteem wherever that Mm. came from in my childhood but I've noticed that as I have learned to love myself more and love my body more I have then dropped the guilt and dropped the anxiety around food and anxiety around working out and and the depression I feel like for me I don't know if that is just me, but I've just found like really tuning in and learning to love myself and ask myself questions has kind of been the key to my healing. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. But I think a lot of people are afraid to ask the question and they're afraid to challenge it because they're worried about failing and they're worried about what they might uncover. And one of the things I know you are a keen journaler you like to journal when I suggest to people about journaling you know what is the triggers to you restricting your eating what are the triggers to you feeling anxious what are the triggers to you feeling down because whenever I see someone I always ask them to keep a journal even if it's for a few days or even if it's for a few days in the week and on the weekend so that you can have a distinction between what happens in your working week and on your downtime yeah It's crucial because actually it allows you to recognise patterns. And with everyone, there are going to be patterns to when you feel down, when you reach for the sweet stuff, when you feel anxious. And actually, once you recognise those patterns, once you are faced with them and you can see them objectively, that's when you have the power to be able to challenge them. Otherwise, they're kind of up in the air and you just feel actually you're not going to get a handle on them. But once Mm -hmm. it's on paper and you're able to visualise it, it becomes much easier to break them. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm yet to do a podcast with anyone who doesn't say that journaling is their number yeah. one thing. It's mad. It's, it's so true. That, it's so funny. <laughs> Honestly, it's like something I never even knew existed until the beginning yeah. of this year. And all of a sudden, I would say that above meditation, above anything else, it seems to me that journaling is like the only way to cure. And it's so funny, isn't it? Because when we're younger, you're taught to like write a dear diary and then you grow yeah. out of it because you think it's really weird. But I mean, I physically notice if I go for a week without writing down how did this make me feel or there was a specific thing that came up this week where I got really upset about something and I was like oh, I'm no I'm not upset about this situation I know it's brought up old feelings what am I feeling here and I think the reason why people are so scared to do it is because they don't see that so much freedom comes with dealing with it they think that yeah. once they bring it up it's actually going to kind of open up a can of worms don't they also the phrase journaling just sounds really airy fairy and really woolly but actually I mean I suggest journaling in two ways so one way being if you find that you're very anxious or very down before bed to the point that it affects your sleep because we know that when we're down or when we're feeling anxious we can struggle to get off to sleep and then that can affect us through the night that we might be constantly up and down through the night we might be getting up early in the morning (laughs) one of the things that I always suggest is doing a worry dump before bed so literally writing down all your worries into a notebook beside your bed and containing it within that rather than having them up in the air sort of free floating so as soon as you put pen to paper you write it down you close the book that's it you've done it contained and then also journaling to the point sort of throughout the day so actually giving sort of time slots so having yeah. 7 to 8 a.m 8 to 9 a.m and just doing your sort of hourly slots through the day that's the first column second column is the activity so it might be 7 to 8 have breakfast and then actually the third column being about how you feel or any thoughts that's conjured up so actually it might be 7 to 8 having breakfast I'm thinking what the day has in store for me I've got a meeting coming up I'm feeling anxious then 10 to 11 might be the meeting feeling anxious feeling sick but you've kind of build up a pattern yeah. of your thought process and how you subsequently feel and then the final column is how you behave so if you're finding that after I don't know a run-in with your boss you're constantly fleeing to the toilet and you think you're going to throw up clearly then there's a pattern there that actually it's the confrontation with your boss and there might be the thought is what if he thinks I'm a waste of space or, or whatever it is and you can assume that that's what's going on for you but as soon as you put it on to paper you might find it happens every week or it happens at the time of the month but it's only when you're able to have it out there in front of you that you can start to notice these yeah. patterns and then get into the powerful position of being able to break it yeah I think it's like one of those mindset things isn't it like you know when you get a bill and you don't want to open it because you just don't want to know and if you yeah. don't open it it's like not there and you don't have to deal with it but I think the biggest thing I learned only this year is that actually you can Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Completely like free yourself of feelings when you actually do bring it up yeah. and you do deal with it. And I think you've completely mastered that is that people are almost scared it sounds so airy fairy to journal, but it really just can be as simple as writing down how you feel or why something made you feel and for me I've definitely learned my triggers so when I am overworked and tired and stressed that's when everything goes out the window for me like that's when I get really agitated and I get upset or I run to the cupboard to eat food in a way that's like oh I'm just really hungry today like I noticed even yesterday I've been working 24 hours pretty much straight this weekend to get something done and my body just can't function that way and I was I said to my housemate I was like god I'm so hungry today like I don't know why I'm so hungry. And I was like, I know why I'm exhausted. Yeah. And it's always when I'm exhausted. And I think I've now learned my trigger. So I changed my lifestyle to ensure that I don't work like this. And that this is just one weekend of an anomaly. But I've implemented things like switching off from work at seven o'clock and not looking at my emails. And I wouldn't have been able to put those things in place had I not have addressed that's really important yeah. it's great that you've been able to recognize that yeah. and then to make the necessary changes it's as definitely well. tough I mean for people listening out there you know it's not just a straight up is it like right I'm going to master this you know, I've been on this journey for a year and I've yeah. been lucky enough to have people around me who kind of almost have acted as my support network and my therapists without me actually having to go to see one for someone who is listening who may be thinking they might be suffering with some sort of mental health issue, whether it's depression or anxiety, what are some of the signs they can look out for to know that it's not just a norm, like you said, like they can't physically do something that day or when is it that they should really start addressing it? So one of the simplest exercises that I always get people to do is called the day in the life of. Mm-hmm. So it's thinking about your typical day from the moment you wake up right to the time you go to sleep. And I always give myself as an example, just so that it kind of sets the scene. So I get up at six o'clock on the morning. I get my little girl ready. I'll get her breakfast sorted. Then I'll get myself ready. I'll have my breakfast at a certain time. And then I have to drop her off at nursery and then drive to work and get to work. And then generally, I'm sort of quite polite. I get on well with the people that I work with. I manage to finish my tasks at a particular time. I break for lunch. I normally break for lunch with the rest of my team. And then I will go and pick my little girl up at five, get her tea sorted, get her ready for bed. And then I'll have downtime with my husband and then go to bed about 10 and generally I sleep okay. Mm. So everyone's probably thinking, why have I bored you with all that information? But that's kind of my baseline. So if I'm finding that I'm getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning and I'm really, really struggling to get my little girl ready. So even trying to get addressed on the morning just feels like the most impossible of tasks or I'm forgetting to feed her before I send her to nursery perhaps I don't feel like I've got the energy to take her to nursery. I might be feeling more tearful. I might be more snappy at work. You know, people are turning to me saying, are you all right? Because you're a bit more on edge 
like you are normally. Mm. It might be I'm feeling I'm constantly running behind. So my clinics generally run on time, but I might be finding that I'm running later and later every day. I might be finding that I'm strapped for time that I'm not even able to break for lunch, or I might not have an appetite to be able to have anything to eat. I might leave work a bit later and then struggle to get to my little girl on time. So the nursery might be ringing me, wondering where I am. I might get home and find that I just don't have the energy to get tea ready on the table. My husband might come back and think, you know, why have you not got food ready? If you sort of lay out your baseline, because obviously it's going to be individual for everyone, and think to yourself, what has changed? So for me, I can say my mood's changed. People at work are noticing. I don't have an appetite. I'm not able to get to bed or I'm sleeping in or whatever it is actually you slowly are able to generate almost a list of symptoms for yourself and thinking about how long that's probably been going on for. It might be that someone's recognised it, whether it's a loved one or maybe a colleague at work or your boss at work's noticed. But if you have sort of that list of symptoms, have a think about what might be going on. So you might yourself think, actually, I know that I've had lots on at work and I'm feeling stressed. It might be that you don't know yourself what's going on Mm. but again it goes back to what we were saying earlier that the moment it becomes a problem is the moment it impacts on your level of functioning so for me in that example that I've given it's impacting clearly on my daughter my ability to look after my daughter it's impacting on my ability to have positive relationships at work because I'm getting more irritable with my colleagues it's impacting on my ability to get a good night's sleep and to make sure I'm eating to fuel myself so that's when I would urge people to make that appointment with the doctor sooner rather than later because there's evidence actually if we intervene early then we can get it sorted early and it reduces the impact on later life as well yeah no I think that's so true and I think people probably don't even notice sometimes do they that their day has actually changed or they will notice it but they just think it's not it's really subtle really subtle changes it is and that's where I think it's so hard for people to differentiate I guess when they're just having a bit of a down day and when they've got depression and I guess is that where you're saying the line it blurs is where it affects your day for a long period of time yeah so it affects your sort of level of functioning because there's loads and loads of depressive symptoms so obviously low mood being the most obvious one yeah but also struggling with energy yeah so feeling that everything seems like an effort getting out of bed I mean obviously we all struggle sometimes to get out of bed on a morning but everything from the moment we get up feels like an effort we don't enjoy things so perhaps we used to really enjoy going to the gym or we used to enjoy socializing with friends but even that feels like it's too much you know we're not enjoying the company of others Mm -hmm. we're not enjoying hobbies that we used to enjoy Also not being able to concentrate and being forgetful. And often people might find that they're struggling at work. So perhaps they used to be a really good worker. They used to always get their tasks done on time, but actually they're struggling to concentrate. They're also finding that they're a bit more tearful or short-tempered. So that fluctuation in emotions as well. Mm. And depression also affects our appetite and our sleep. So I mentioned earlier about it might be that it affects your appetite to the point that you just don't fancy eating anything and you might lose weight or you go the opposite end and you're finding that actually food is something that seems to give you comfort and actually you gain weight. 
And then there's the darker end of depression where people might harm themselves because actually often when we're depressed, we might feel quite numb and we might feel that we're not able to feel emotions and often people feel quite switched off. Yeah, they feel like disconnected, yeah. Yeah, absolutely disconnected. That's the exact word that people often use to describe that feeling and often self-harm can offer a way of feeling something so self-harm you know covers a broad range of things cutting being the one that we see spoken about quite a lot but things like hair pulling you know self-biting there's lots of ways people might choose to self-harm as a way of managing some quite difficult emotions and then the other end of the spectrum is thoughts about not wanting to be alive anymore we've heard so much in the media with um, celebrities most recently, Demi Lovato, because actually people get into such a desperate state that for them, they feel so worthless, so hopeless, that for them, there's no other option but to end their life. And obviously, that's really the severe end But I'm sure there's people who have been listening to this as well who have had maybe not the darkest end of depression, but I bet they've had days where they thought, like, I don't want to be here. And I guess that's an And I remember thinking that when I was back in like four, I think it was six years ago. Yeah. I remember just being like, what is the point? And that Mm. was when my doctor was like, okay, you need to go and see someone if you've even had those thoughts because we're here now. Like, we're here if that's what you're thinking. And I was like, I didn't want to admit that I'd been thinking it, but. Yeah. The moment she said that, I was like, okay, right, something needs to be done. And I think for me, that was like my biggest trigger. And I mean, now I'm massively at that point in my life where I'm so grateful for that time in my life they had, because if I didn't have that time in my life, I would absolutely not be here now trying mm. to help other people. For me, that was kind of like my driving force. But I feel like that's where there's such a broad spectrum that people don't realise that it's almost, it's so different. This is one of the situations where it really is, just like everything else, we are so different, aren't we? Each and every single one of us is so different and we really just need to measure it by tuning into our own selves and not comparing it to others. Absolutely. And I think the other thing just to bear in mind is often we might expect other people to take charge and to notice when we're struggling And it might not be as simple as someone saying, oh, actually, everything we're talking about here makes sense. I'm going to go and make the appointment with my doctor. It might be that someone's listening and thinking, actually, I've noticed that my husband or I've noticed that my girlfriend is not herself. And it's a lot of responsibility, but I would urge those people that if you're noticing there's a change, so using that day in the life Mm -hmm. of exercise, and you might not know someone that well. So it might be that you've been working in office with someone for two weeks and you notice that there's a pattern that they go for coffee at a certain time or they, they come in to the office at a certain time and that they're normally quite a good worker. If you've noticed anything that deviates from their baseline, it's having the confidence to have the conversation with them and going back to what we were talking about with sort of the last 18 months the media talking about improving the conversation around mental health a lot of people don't actually know how to have the conversation because you know if I was to ask you how are you you'd likely say I'm fine because actually no one wants to be that one that burdens someone with their issues or are they really interested in how I am or are they just asking just to be polite so one of the things that I developed is a way of having the conversation that means if someone turns around to you and says, I'm fine, it gives you the confidence to push the conversation further if you're oh, worried brilliant. that they're not. So the mnemonic that I use is something called face fear. Yeah. 
So it's about having a face-to-face conversation with someone you're worried about. So perhaps I'm worried that my best friend's not herself. She's cancelling workouts with me. She's just not looking after herself as well as she normally is. Whenever she meets me, she's really snappy and she's always really forgetful. Mm. And I might have noticed this for the last two or three months and keep asking her if she's okay. She says, I'm fine. So having a face-to-face conversation with her, A, is about being attentive. So asking her how she is. And again, she might just turn around and say, I'm fine, but at least I've given her the opportunity to speak free from any influence or any bias from me. C is about remaining calm. So if you're really worried about her, obviously it's going to be a fraught time because you're worried about your friend. But if you're there panicking and anxious and begging her to open up, that's not going to convey to her that you're emotionally able to take on whatever she's going to share with you. Because she might open up to you and say, look, I'm really not fine. But if she's faced with you, appearing anxious or perhaps angry then it's not going to give her a sense that this is safe space to talk so just remaining calm and then the fear aspect is so f is for facts Mm. so what have you noticed look i've noticed that you're cancelling workouts you're more irritable you're late at work you're not eating whatever it is going back to that day in the life of so you're pointing out exactly what's changed with her And then E is by explaining. So if I was to reel off a list of things that you were doing, the instant reaction is to get defensive. But the E is about explaining why it's different. So look, you know, you're cancelling workouts. You used to always be the one that dragged me to the gym. You're late to work. You used to be the first one in the office. Mm -hmm. You're not eating. We never used to be able to fill you up. So it's about putting into context what's changed from previously. And then the A and the R is about agreeing and action reviewing. Because, you know, if I was to say to my phone, how are you? I'm fine. End of conversation. It never gets spoken about again. Yeah. But the agree, the action and review is about holding you both accountable. So it's about saying to her, look, you're saying you're fine, but I've told you that I'm worried about your mood. I'm worried about you not eating. And I'm worried that you're not interested in things that you used to enjoy doing. Yeah. So how about... From now till you know next week, we check in every day. And if things don't improve, we go to HR or we go and book an appointment with a GP or you know whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But it's about making sure that you come back to that conversation. Mm-hmm. And it might be that there's a clear trigger. So it might be that she's just broken up with a boyfriend, in which case in a week's time, things might have improved a little and actually you're less worried about yeah. her. But it's making sure that you revisit that conversation. Don't let it get forgotten. Yeah. I really love that. I think that's such a lovely way to look at it and like really help people because I've been in the situation before and we've had recent situations with friends and people we know where we're like, we really want to help them, but how do we approach it and how do we even begin to go there? And I think not only sometimes are people afraid to even deal with, like have their own conversations and take the next step, but speaking to a friend is sometimes the hardest, hardest thing, especially when you know that they are coming across like they're absolutely fine and they're putting on a brave yeah. face and they're a very proud person and you know that more. I've had friends where I'm like, they're so proud that I think that even if I say it to them, they're going to want to be like, no. Nope. And yeah. knowing that suffering and silence is like the worst thing, it's definitely amazing to have something that you can like use. I think that's definitely going to help me anyway. I'd never even thought of those things. And in terms of like reviewing, I guess – if someone is listening to this, they're like, okay, I, do you know what? I think I really want to go and get help on this and I really want to start to feel better or they know someone. Where can we go for help? What are next steps? 
So I would always say your GP is your first point of call. The other thing is not to underestimate the impact of lifestyle. So whenever I see someone in clinic, I wouldn't just refer them for therapy or start a medication without addressing the other stuff. So making sure, you know, they're eating regular meals, that they are cleaning up their sleep. Because often, if we haven't had enough sleep, that can really impact our mood. Often people are connected to their phones right up until the point that they go to bed. Mm -hmm. But making sure that you set yourself a curfew an hour before bed, that you're winding down with a book, you're disconnected from phones, laptops, anything with a screen, basically. You're cutting out caffeine from lunchtime onwards, really, ideally. And that if you are exercising, I mean, I know for a lot of people, exercise doesn't necessarily impact their sleep, but trying to keep it earlier in the day and then going to bed at the same time each night and getting up the same time each morning whether it's a weekend or a weekday because often what we do is we have really good intentions in the week and then come the weekend all matter of routine goes out the window and then we're constantly playing catch up yeah so I think the big thing is really trying to get a handle on sleep and also setting yourself a screen curfew and regular exercise and eating well I'm not saying that that should replace going to see a doctor but that should be happening alongside completely agree going to see a doctor I completely agree like I put a ban on myself that I wasn't allowed to be on my phone an hour before bed and I definitely wasn't allowed to look at my Instagram or social media in bed and it changed my life and recently I'd fallen out of it and even yesterday, it happened to me, I think in the week it was, I can't remember what it was, I was in bed and I'd had such a good day. I just, at the moment, had felt like I was really in flow. I was always call it like I'm really in flow and everything's just coming to me and mm. everything was just great. And I was working without even thinking, it was just happening. And then I got into bed and I saw something on social media and it upset me in an instant. Yeah. It completely changed my mood in a heartbeat and I couldn't sleep that night and then I woke up in the morning in a really bad mood and it wasn't until I got up and I said to myself this isn't their issue this is your issue what is yeah. your trigger here what is it that's upset you about that so much and like you've had such a good week don't let this ruin your week deal with what the emotion is and let it go and like, I think I've like, obviously learned how to implement tools I know there are so many people who haven't so like I'm totally with you on the implementing things like that because it completely changed my day yeah It's so powerful. I try to get people to avoid looking at their phone first thing on a morning because, again, that sets your tone. Like If you scroll through social media and you see something, perhaps it's sort of a flawless image, and that sets your tone for the rest of the day. And I think, actually, it's really important you get up, if you've got time to exercise, do a workout, have a sort of a breakfast where you're not connected to any sort of technology you know you're focusing on the meal listening to podcasts I think is a brilliant thing to do or guided meditation whatever it is because I think all too often social media does impact you know you've given the example that actually it just undid all the good that you generated for yourself that day yeah and I think it's definitely people talk about it, but I think it's down to them to make that decision and them to make those rules rather than blaming social media. You know, we can implement those things. And I'm a big fan of not blaming social media and actually sitting and doing the work that you need to do instead of blaming it. But obviously there are certain times where we we can't help. But 
I think that's where we were talking about social media bullying and the impact it has on our mental health. And there's a lot of talk recently been about, I think since the Love Island lot have all come out about how there's a lot mm. of trolling and bullying on there. The moment they become famous, people almost think it's okay to comment on what they look like or, you know, that they just deserve it. What's your take on that? I shared something recently yeah. um, that one of the Love Island contestants Zara, had shared. Yeah, yeah, and I completely agreed with her because actually why are they any less deserving yeah. of being treated with respect just because they've put themselves out there on the public domain doesn't then open them up to having to be bullied essentially mm. because actually they are only human and I do really struggle. I think often people who feel the need to bully or to troll, that reflects a deep-seated issue in them, that reflects an insecurity in them. But for the person receiving the comment, it's really difficult to see past the comment, you know, whether it's a comment on physical appearance or on your personality or whatever. And it can really fuel that sort of low self-esteem and fuel potentially depression, anxiety symptoms. So one of the things that I would always suggest is like you say, the social media, it's, it's really difficult not to keep focusing on the negative. There's obviously some positive aspects of social media. And I think it's really important to bear in mind that you can curate your feed. So if there's an account or if there's someone that you follow that seems to trigger a negative response in you or makes you feel a certain way to unfollow them. And it's not to say that you will never follow them again, but actually perhaps at this time, they're not the right person to follow you. Their content isn't resonating with you. Yeah, It's Um, like just take responsibility for your own mental health. I think I did a post on that last week where I was like, social media gets such a bad rep and so much to blame for our body dysmorphia. And I was like, I'm actually going to flip it and say, actually, more so than our parents and our grandparents, we have access to seeing that there are a hundred different types of body shapes and actually there are more different ways of being beautiful than ever before yet it really comes down to we need to sit and do the work ourselves and then we won't be phased by those issues and I I completely agree with you on the people that judge and say those things to people who are insecure in their own right and I think the other recent thing that came to press recently that I really just wanted to get your take on just before we like wrap up is the recent study that came out about how exercising more than three to five times a week can actually hinder our mental health now I literally like jumped up and down when I saw this because it's obviously a big message that everyone knows I'm on the bandwagon of at the moment that working out if it is a release for you and it is something that doesn't detriment your mental health then great and that is amazing but there are tons and tons of girls out there who are moving because they hate themselves and think that the gym is the answer behind that so it's just really interesting to see what your take was on that study you just sort of said what I was thinking really that it all comes down to how the individual perceive that study for me I've only really seen the positive effects that exercise has had in terms on people's mental health, in terms of things like low mood and anxiety. I think it's really powerful. But when we're thinking about things such as eating disorders or body dysmorphia, obviously then exercise then becomes a tool, a mode of restriction or a mode of trying to keep weight or like you said, you know, sort of punishing yourself as well. And I think again if we break it down simply, if exercise is something that you dread or something that you feel you have to do, 
so if for instance you know your friends are inviting you out for a meal or inviting you out to a social event and exercise trumps all of that that's when I suppose it becomes a problem yeah because I've seen girls as young as sort of primary age sort of 11 12 where exercise becomes all consuming wow. that they actually cannot function unless it's to exercise that's because they want to keep their weight down or they need to lose more weight and then clearly that's when it becomes something to worry about oh, it just breaks my heart that girls that young are like, I don't think people really truly I think we know the power of social media and we know the power of our own voices and even for me over the last year I've been so careful about the things I do post and don't post and you just don't really actually think about the fact that young girls are seeing it and are doing things that we were doing when we were like 24 yet they're 11 like it's just it's scary really a lot of it might be down to what they see on social media a lot of it might be because they're just growing up faster than when we were that age and I'm really mindful about what I do I mean my little girl's three and a half almost four and I'm really conscious about the words that I use around her the way I describe food even if you know, I don't fancy some dessert and perhaps my husband's having something. Be careful not to make a big deal about it. Yeah. You know, even things like sort of what we would consider treats. So when I was growing up, we used to have a treat cupboard that had like crisps and chocolates and, and lots of snacks in. I was clinically obese when I was a child mm. growing up. Yeah. And then overnight, this treat cupboard disappeared. And then suddenly it was good or bad and clearly that was the decision that my mum made at that time because she was worried about our physical health but then for me that's my narrative now that chocolates are bad and whatever is good and I'm really careful that I don't want that for my daughter Mm -hmm. so actually everything is accessible you know all the treats are accessible to her level so she can go into the kitchen and open a drawer and get a chocolate bar if she wants to because Amazing. actually I haven't labelled it as, as a bad food. only on treat days or yeah. it's a bad food or, or whatever. And also things like, you know, not weighing myself, not looking at myself in the mirror or pinching or commenting yeah. on my physical appearance. Because I'm really mindful for the kids that I see, often it might be that mum was always on a diet or mum always called herself fat or mum never let us have chocolate in the house because actually she said it was a bad food and and then suddenly they were going out of the house and they went to university and suddenly they had exposed to all these foods that were banned and restricted and then that sort of fed into sort of a binge cycle it's so powerful what other people's relationships Mm. are with food that the people that we live with, our friends, how it's marketed, how social media views food, body. So I think it's a combination of all those mm. things that's meant that actually girls as young as 11 wow. are in tune with it. I think for me as well, the thing that like rings alarm bells for me is that obviously this generation of people who are now having children as well so like when I look around at some of my friends who have had children and obviously like it's something that I want to do in the next few years it's like those are the people who have been living this life of treats bad food good food calorie counting low carb diets and then having children and the effect that it's going to have on our children and I know your whole book is about mental health in young children isn't it and it was a bestseller and you've done absolutely amazing which is incredible and the link to the book will be at the bottom of this but 
for someone who's listening who might have children who's just interested just a summary on what the book is and what it's about so it's basically a book and you don't have to be a parent it's for anyone that is worried about a child's mental health so okay. it might be you're an aunt and an uncle mm-hmm. you might be an older sibling you might be a teacher a social worker and it's basically a guide to spot signs when a child might be struggling with their mental health so I've laid it out in terms of sort of worry so I'm yeah. worried my child might be depressed I'm worried my child might have an eating disorder and it's literally symptoms and then how to go about supporting that young person and getting them the support that they need and then also giving you some tips and strategies about how to have a conversation with them if you are worried about them as well amazing and what's next from you this year what's your plans have you got anything in the pipeline I'm just going to be doing much the same. I've done a few podcasts this year already. So a few more podcasts to come out. I want to definitely do some more workshops. I've been moving my workshops online. So the Instagram live seems to be building quite a lot of momentum. So doing the Instagram live. So much of the same, carrying on to break the stigma about mental health, but also just making sure that I'm sharing lots of strategies and free resources. Because I do believe actually it's really important to make it accessible for anyone. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And oh, you're I, welcome. it's been amazing. It's been really eye opening for me. And I think with it being such a talked about topic at the moment, yet people not actually getting to the root of what it's really about and how deep it is and how hard hitting it is when you think of the facts. So if anybody out there is listening, all of Sarah's links to her website, her book, her Instagram will be at the bottom of the podcast. But if you think you might be suffering from depression or anxiety or anything that we've spoken about today, please don't be afraid to speak out and know that there is a freedom that comes to it once you do so thank you all so much for listening and sarah thank you so so much for coming on today thank you you're welcome it's been an absolute pleasure having you see you later bye 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 you have been listening to the alternatively healthy wellness podcast series by becky raven thank you so much for tuning in today please feel free to leave your comments and feedback below and don't forget to give us a lovely little rating For more information on our podcasts, other episodes, and to find out more about what we do, please visit www.alternativelyhealthy.co.uk. And remember, shaping the healthiest version of you means looking purely at you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.